Welcome to the Simply Podcast. I'm Aisha Rajavali, Content Executive here at Simply. And I'm Sonia Punian, Head of Consulting here at Simply. And who have we got with us today, Aish? So today we're talking to Lorna Shaw, who is the User Education and Knowledge Manager at BlackRock. Prior to this, she was a comms lead on a, a large-scale bank-wide transformation project at NatWest as Communications and Engagement Manager uh, for the Resource Augmentation Programme. While at NatWest, her key focus included rolling out a wide raft of engagement plans and advocating for digital channels to get the company connected. Today, we'll be talking to her about her experience in comms and why she got into a comms career. Sounds great. Let's get started then. Welcome to the Simply Podcast, Lorna. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, I can. So first of all, thanks very much for, for inviting me um, along to speak at this. It's, it's always good to um to, to have conversations around topics that we're all passionate about. Um, so a little, little bit about what I do. Well, I mean, it's obviously a very open-ended question. Um, and as an internal communicator, what I do or what, what we do in our industry is, is very varied, you know, uh, ranging from engagement, storytelling, and um, listening is obviously a key factor, um, providing feedback channels, to basics and things like uh, copywriting, editing, speech writing, um, coaching people um, for for prepping them for speaking at events and things like that, to content management, leadership narrative, and um, basically consistency across uh, messaging. When particularly when inside an organisation where there is a a strategic narrative at play, and it's about helping all the leaders and well, not just leaders, but all all employees across an organisation. Um, sort of fully understand what 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 uh, the purpose is and the vision, bringing that to life and necessarily ensuring that it sort of it features. It's not just launched like in Q1 every year, talked about for a few weeks and then ignored. It's, it's a consistent flow through all our work and all our interactions, so that you know there's almost like subliminal messaging going on. And before you know it, people are talking in the sort of a language and a style that that uh, supports the. The sort of the goals of the organization so yeah lots of different things um at play there it's about looking at the bigger picture and and joining the dots right so um you can be working on a particular program a piece of work and be concentrating on that but again um, you sort of need to understand what's going on before that and what's coming after that to make sure that bigger picture is there because things in isolation can sometimes actually cause confusion rather than um you know Communicating is obviously bringing clarity to things. Let's be honest, it's one of the most basic human things that we all do, isn't it? Um, but it's something that we can get very wrong if we don't do it right. There's definitely different ways in which we can communicate, different styles and things like that. Um, so, you know, my role is always about um, taking myself out of the situation and looking back in. Um, I've obviously got my own personal preferences and styles and things like that. Um, but it's, it's who you're working with, it's knowing the circumstances and the context in which to give the best advice to, to enable good communication flow and engagement for that particular uh, piece of work and things like that. So yeah, in a nutshell, very varied. And I, I really like I really like it for that reason because no two days are the same. I love to hear that. No two days are the same. I think uh, as communicators, that is very much uh, the life that we lead. Um yeah. no, no two hours are the same actually when you think about uh, it. No, absolutely, absolutely. And um Kind of, we, we know that you're a user education and knowledge manager at BlackRock. Lorna, what does that actually entail? Well, it was, it's a very good question. Um, first of all, I just I just want to sort of caveat that I'm um, I'm very new into role. I've only been in role for a few months, 
and I'm actually a contingent worker at the moment, so I am actually not allowed to sort of speak on behalf of or, or about BlackRock, but I can give you a sort of an overall understanding of, of what, what the team do. Uh, so user education and knowledge management, okay. Um, it kind of is a bit what it says in the tin. Um, we're essentially the, the gatekeeper for user-facing knowledge and education across BlackRock. Um, so basically, we're, we're passionate about improving the digital user experience because we sit within the digital workplace, which is part of technology platforms. Um, and so we, we're all focused on that end user experience. So obviously internally for us, that's employees. Um, and we do that through knowledge sharing and partnering with the technology platforms. Um, again, thinking back to, to, to what I was saying a little minute ago, it's about bringing that consistency and accuracy with information that we're, we're sharing across employees. And that's not just about the actual content itself, but the way in which it's consumed. So the platforms that we use, the channels we engage through, and things like that so that people whether you're rolling out product a product b or service c whatever it is people get a feel for how, how they can um consume the information to do with that product or that service it will be a similar feel and experience so that um, anyone within blackrock will, will, will sort of over time become used to that and it, that in itself helps the education piece it's easier for people they get used to how to um access and um get information that way. Um, we also partner with various groups to engage the business stakeholders naturally as, as you might expect and a key part of that is, is ensuring that the feedback is there and is, is considered in the technology strategy. So we, we play a large part in the early stages of new product or service implementations to ensure that that consideration for the end user experience is there because with absolute respect to, to our peers in technology who are super duper whizzy technology technological um, you know, geniuses in some respects um, don't necessarily always have that end piece, if you like, that, that sort of putting a lens across it like, okay, we're, we're in the thick of all this technical stuff and it does all this great stuff, but actually, how do we strip that back and, and make it something digestible and understandable for, for the end user? And so our team really, I say, sit as a conduit between the technology um, SMEs and the, the business users that will have to, to use these products and services. So we come in and, and sort of parachute in and go, right, this is all great, but just everyone stop the bus a minute. How are we focusing on how will people know this? And you can't just go, oh, well, we'll just send them an email. It's like, well, not really. You need to do warm up. You can't just land it on people. So we're a conduit between um, the business um, and technology. So we, we're there just to, to make sure that the, the end user experience is thought about and considered. Um, during during the process for um, particularly how we're rolling out these things because you can technically ironically enough um, just roll out a product and that's it just go for it mm. but my goodness if you don't engage people along the way and they don't have an understanding of why this is replacing this because it looks similar as why, why are you moving me from a to b can mm. i stay on this platform and things like that and um technologists don't necessarily always consider as i say that end piece so so we're there just to make sure um, or to, to do our best to, to, to make that as seamless as possible so that people have a good understanding the context of the change, why we're changing, what the new product or service will deliver, um, how they can make uh, the best use of that new product or service and then give them examples of uh, sort of real life examples of how it works in the business. So, I mean, you, you could Google something, you could go into Microsoft, for example, say, how, how does Viva work or something like you can technically find that out. But we, we bring it to life internally with, with lived examples, you know, WebEx demos. Let me show you how I've used it in my role and what the benefit is to the team. 
and things like that. So um, that's essentially what, what our team do. I, I love that, Lorna. You, you speak to me. Um, that's what I do day in, day out. I, I'm always like a, a piece of tech. It's fantastic. But if people don't know how to use it, then it's it's pretty useless as well. So it, you're you're speaking to me um, massively with this. So in your previous role at NatWest as communications and engagement manager, you worked on the resource augmentation program. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Well, yeah, I mean, um, first things first, that um, I, I always sit and smile when I think about the, the program because it was it was huge, huge scale transformation program. And in fact, it was the, the first of its kind and scale at the bank. So it was genuinely, and I say this, an exciting program to work on. Um, and people go, resource augmentation, like, what the heck does that mean? And, it's like, and um, you know, to summarise it, I mean, it was, it was a huge, huge thing, as I say, but in a one sentence wonder, what was it? It was essentially um, about focusing on building internal talent pipelines that would ultimately help us reduce the reliance on third party resource. So um, and, and using that sort of cost saving, cost avoidance, whichever way you want to look at it, to reinvest in the investment portfolio to fund other pieces of work. Um, but, but going behind that, it was it was really purposeful and great. And what I loved about it was um, it, it saw the launch of many, many sort of other large scale programs within the, the program through upskilling, reskilling, cross skilling programs, strategic workforce planning, supplier rationalization, and leveraging uh, tooling enablers that rely on for better forecasting and insights, et cetera. On all of that combined um, together with a huge requirement to, to um, and shift in mindset and behaviors in, in the hiring manager sort of area, shall we say. Um, all needed to, to combine to allow that to happen. So um, from a communications perspective, it was like, my goodness, it was like about a thousand things going on. Uh, we had voice of the customer, uh, working group, we had focus groups. Um, within any program, your, your standard substreams and uh, work streams and things like that. Um, and again, they're, they're trying to, to sit with that helicopter view over the top, like what the heck is going across all these work streams and pulling that together to take that back out to the rest of the bank to explain like sort of once a month in a, a show and tell type thing or an exchange session. This is what our program are doing. This is the journey we're on. This is where we've been to date. This is where we're at now. This is what the vision is. This is how and where and when you can play your part in this. And, you know, so um, yeah, it was it was a challenge within, within itself. Um, and it's one I was, I was really um, enjoying because I say from one hour to the next, we're doing quite different things. And, um, just prior to me leaving the bank, they, they had sort of gone through the first huge milestone, which was the supplier rationalization piece and had gone from you know, over 200 uh, suppliers in the bank to I think a model of about five or so with some niche suppliers on top. So just to, to put in, in, into context for that, you know, um, it meant, you know, no longer would, would perhaps, you know, uh, Bob and such and such a team be able to just pick up the phone to some pal then and say hey I need a new software engineer on Monday can you start them so it was about actually no we've got these suppliers for these reasons and we will go through processes and and guidance but actually for all the right reasons because as I say looking across all that or underpinning it whichever way you look at it there was that huge huge internal piece about we're, we're, we've got lots of talent within the bank why are we letting people go either through redundancy or things like that if we could be and should be reskilling them, giving them an opportunity to, hey, you used to work in the front line and these branches are perhaps now closing, would you like to be retrained and reskilled 
to become a software engineer. So they started piloting uh, things like that as well. And it was just really taking off and um, again, different role types coming into play now. They're doing it across data and analytics as well, not just engineering. And um, it's now been five months since I was at the bank. So I suspect it has, has continued going um, in that direction as well. Um, so yeah, a cost-saving exercise that actually had real good, strong purpose behind it for all the right reasons. Um, why would you let your talent go? And the answer is, well, we wouldn't, we don't want to. And so the program allowed us to find a way to, to balance and reduce the reliance on third party and to really ramp up internal capability and skills. Yeah, I, I love that, Lorna. And, and you mentioned you mentioned kind of talent, and there's I feel there's like a common theme in your career today of of people making their lives better, making them understand tech better, um, which is a, a common theme. I mean, I know you began your career in recruitment, and then you moved into HR, and and then comms. Why was it that you made the switch? Well, well, yes, it's a good question. Um, so some of it was um, unplanned change. Some of it was saying yes to opportunities. Some of it was purposely seeking change. And there's also an element of, of taking chances as well. Um, I, I'm sort of one of these people where I, I know that, you know, lots of my own peers or, or friends or, you know, just uh, colleagues that I know have quite a structured approach to career and sort of know or are quite certain where they kind of want to be in five years time or 10 years time. I've never really been that that focused. Um, I don't necessarily bumble along from Lothra. It's not it's not quite like that. But um, I think be, because I'm quite open minded and, and willing to experiment and see what's out there and, and I don't I don't close my mind to, to potential and opportunities that has led me down some paths that I might not ordinarily have sat down and thought I definitely want to go into communications or I definitely want to make a move to HR, but some some of it's been a natural flow. Um, so for an example would be yeah, I started off in recruitment as a trainee a recruitment officer. To be honest, that was just a job. I just come out of college and thought I'd go and get an office job and something. Oh, I could do recruitment. So that came about from that. You know, the recruitment team was within a wider HR function. And recruitment, as we know, resourcing is, is the start of, of a journey. It's, it's, you know, the hiring experience, the onboarding, and then sort of a, a, an employee life cycle would take them through the HR journey. And then you come out the other end of that and other stuff. Um, so the move to HR was, was a natural transition from um, recruiting, as I say, to then working in the HR team once people had been onboarded. And from that, um, one of the roles I was in at the time as an HR advisor with the City of Edinburgh Council, um, I was working on a particular a programme, which was uh, 15,000 people from a whole bunch of legacy terms and conditions from different um, Sort of, they, they'd had councils, had had um, centralised, decentralised, shake it all about different zones and regions and things, and they'd come together as a melting pot of Edinburgh City Council. But many people it, it doing the exact same role were sitting on multiple different terms and conditions because some of them had come from Mid Lothian or East Lothian or West Lothian, whatever. So there was this huge piece of work ongoing to streamline it all and move everybody onto one standardised set of terms and conditions so that there was fairness um, across everybody. And so I was doing the HR side of that on the help desk. So um, I got sort of really quickly up to speed with what the real concerns were and the challenges. And whilst doing that, I was working very closely with the internal communications team at the council. We were then responsible for you know, sharing the updates and the messaging around what's going on in this programme. And so they approached me and said, would, would you like to come and work in our team and, and do the communication side? Because they'd seen what I was doing on the HR side and thought, we'd quite like a bit of that. We want, you, you've got the knowledge, obviously. And, you know, dare I say the flair, but we need a bit of that in our team, come over and help us. 
I was open to opportunity. They saw potential in me and I, and I said, yes, okay, I'll come and do this. And actually, for, I've never looked back from there. I've stayed doing communication since then because I think, touch wood, I, say, I, find, I find my little niche, I find something um, that I'm genuinely passionate about and something where I can see that I'm adding value. And that helps because we could, anyone, any of us could come in and do a job and that, that's all fine and well. But when, when I see that I've helped a person or a team or an organisation to communicate just that little bit better than before I was there, that, that you know, I've done my job. That's me. I've, I've helped. That's so important. Yeah, definitely. Um, just bringing it back to some other um, other experience that you've had. So before moving on to the um, resource augmentation program, you were in comms and engagement manager roles for a new centre of tech excellence in technology. Mm-hmm. And before that, the digital and engineering services team at the bank, where you focused on encouraging, supporting, leading and enabling the use of multiple platforms to drive engagement. Can you tell us a bit about those roles and some yeah. of the challenges you faced, please? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, those were both roles that I absolutely loved um, for various different reasons. You know, the teams, uh, the people, the, the, the work involved. And again, um, a lot of that was in the digital space, which I have a, a genuine love for. Um, I love embracing new technologies and things like that. Um, and that's, you know, notwithstanding that technology um, doesn't necessarily improve your communications. It put, provides the channels to do it, but there always has to be the strategy and the direction um, and the planning uh, behind that. But those were both roles that were, that were quite similar insofar as um, we were in teams where um, it was during a time at the bank where a lot of new technologies were coming out, certainly within the bank. So, for example, I'm talking about 2018, 2019, so um, pre-pandemic. And uh, the bank was was embracing Zoom as a channel. We just sort of uh, had had bought that in, if you like, as a product, and it was being piloted in very small uh, groups and teams. So I sort of um, put my head above the parapet and said, spoke on behalf of our business unit, like, yeah, we want this. And sort of, um, I like to think about it as persuading people to, to allow us to use um, these tools before they were rolled out. But I think, in all honesty, I probably badgered some people into submission. <laughs> just about right, just just give this team access to Zoom and, and let us go with it. So we were one of the first teams across the bank to be using um, Zoom. And with that came a, a lot of trial and error. Way back in its infancy, we were talking about 200 people on a call and you start thinking, well, we really need this to work. So technical challenges. And with that, um, other challenges came. A little bit of reluctance in some respects from some people. We were just a bit like, Oh, it's another thing for me to have to learn, another tool to have to use. Why can't we just stick with WebEx or whatever is going on? Right? Um, so a little bit of resistance to change in that way. Um, and also some people, some leaders, thankfully not anyone is working with directly, but um, a little bit of a sense of um, people having that fear of failing. I don't want to fail. So this is all very new. C- can we wait once it's been trialed and tested properly, run out and, and everybody's got it slick and knows what's happening? And I was like, well, no, because we need to get in here at the start and be pioneers of it. And I say I was fortunate to work with a leader who's like, OK, let's just go for it. So we had many, what I would say, interesting sessions at the start of these um, journeys using the, the new tools and things like that. And also at the bank, uh, we'd just not long embraced Workplace by Facebook, which now Meta. Um, and that essentially is as it sounds for anyone who may not be aware it is basically an internal version of Facebook so it works pretty much the same as the Facebook that we know but it was just for employees at the bank 
bank for the size of 67,000. I'm talking quite a few thousands of people. Uh, I've got no, I'm not going on a stupid channel. I've, I've got my email, I've got my phone calls. I don't need this fluff over here. Um, so it was a lot of, um, you know, many years of, of uh, steady drip feeding and sort of that education piece and understanding and doing little mini roadshows and becoming a champion for these things to, to get to some of the detractors. So if you just give me half an hour of your time, let me come to you and I'll show you the benefits of using these tools because it's not just what you might have in your mind of a social media platform. There's It goes way beyond that social side to, as I say, um, it, it became a, an exceptionally key channel across the bank for giving people the, the, the platforms to share their own successes and to troubleshoot and to um, do benchmarking, best practice, things like that. Um, and with its uh, video capability as well, you could live stream into it as well. So rather than just having uh, a call with your own business area, you could live stream out to the bank if you wanted to, if you said to people, hey, we're having a live stream, come and join it. So it really helped break down silos big time. It was a slow drip feed thing, as I say, but over time, and it allowed people to come out their own comfort zones and, and get a little bit more um, vocal about things, you know, in a positive way. And certainly by the time the pandemic sort of did come, it was a huge, huge channel because it kept everyone connected because you had the visual element um, you could do the, the one-way communication announcement. You absolutely had the two-way, multi-way feedback, the comments, you could do polling and all these sorts of things. And it, it really did, um, I say it's a key, key tool at the bank. And I think, um, I'm probably not mistaken in thinking that the desire long-term would be that it would be a channel that would be replace some of the existing ones rather than being another one. So where leaders might decide, okay, I'm not going to cascade um, something via email, I am going to do a blog or a vlog on Workplace. So you can come here and consume that information. I'm not going to push it to you via an email anymore. So it's that as a um, shift in ways of working and saying to people, listen, you know, when there's bis key business critical messages, yes, we can send them directly to you. But actually for, um, for business updates and sort of BAU activities, come here to get the information because you get it in real time you can consume it when you want to. Um, and again, from multiple devices, because you could do that on your mobile on the hop, you didn't have to be logged in at a computer to access um, workplace. So things like that um, were good. SharePoint sites as well, they moved the internet uh, to, to be built on SharePoint. And with that, it became a devolved model. Now, prior to that, you, you could be the SME in the business and have all this content information, but you had to hand it over to somebody in a central team and rely on them to like physically update it for you. So that didn't always happen in real time. And as you know, you go something, oh, hang on, I've just noticed that's wrong or that's not. So you can imagine the iterations go back and forward, back and forward, back and forward. So with the devolved model, we were able to, to um, do a lot of the, the sort of backend development had been done. So it was almost like creating template pages for people like here's your blank canvas, this team over here, you can go ahead and here, here's your little zone. This is where you can share what you're doing to the rest of the bank like about who we are what we do how we can help you with whatever you're about and things like that and all these things i say were um really came to the fore particularly during the pandemic where where everyone was you know remote like nobody really was in, in offices and and things like that so um all these things great great things that were going on but challenges as i say from a technical aspect and from a, a slight reluctance in some cases to to have to embrace more channels and more tools and and things like that.
Lorna, that's that's great and, and super fascinating and again speaks to me in my role because channel of choice, how to engage employees, what do you use for what, email, workplace you mentioned there, you know, different tools. It's it's all kind of the heart and, and what tech is meant to be for as well. And I'm even more excited to, to hear more about this at Simply EXP we've got coming up in a couple of weeks time. What is it that you're looking forward to the most? I mean, well, it's, it's going to sound sound a bit uh, but cliched here, but genuinely, it's um, it'll be the first in-person event I've been to for for a little while, so I'm looking forward to to that. Um, meeting new people, obviously, ticking all these stereotypical boxes here, aren't I? But it's it's so genuine and true for me. I love it as a communicator. There's nothing better than doing something face to face, um, for me anyway. So looking forward to that. But actually, genuinely, um, joining the conversation because it's a topic that I'm passionate about, and I'm I'm on a, a panel session that will be focusing on. Um, sort of remote and sort of frontline um, sort of workers and the challenges. And whilst uh, sort of you know my, my experience has largely been office based, um, I've got some great examples to, to talk about and and how we had to pivot from um, office to to home in in regions like India, for example, where not everybody did have you know bring their own device and things like that. So we had um, frontline remote challenges that we didn't expect to have, um, and so it was about how we quickly um, pivot to to accommodate that. So yeah. And um, having uh, had sort of brief um, conversations with some of the other um, panel members there as well, I'm really looking forward to hearing what they're doing in, in their um, current businesses and uh, how things are evolving that way. Yeah, be good. So as, um, as a woman who is in the comms space, what is something that you wish that you knew going into comms? Um, what would some of your advice be for any, you know, any women who are considering going into comms? Wow, that's, that's another good question there. Um, Crikey, what do, well, looking back now, I think um, it would have um, been useful for me to to be probably be a bit more prepared to fail, because um, I've I've had a few times over the over the years where some things that you, you can have a small fail, you can have an absolute something's absolutely bombed, and you're like, oh my goodness, why did I not see that coming, or something like that. So be prepared to fail and by that um, I don't mean just like everyday mistakes it's actually sort of doing a little bit of taking risks per se and as I say well as I was saying earlier um, some of uh, what I've done you have to get through a lot of pain to get there so it's push pushing yourself out your own comfort zone embracing new opportunities and or technologies and as I say being prepared to fail with them so um, again most people are reasonable if, if you say to them, listen, we're, we're trying something new, whether that be a new technology or a new style or a new way of communicating, whatever that is, if you say to people, listen, we're having this quarterly town hall, but we're doing it completely differently this time, and this is why, and we're just going to, you know, suck it and see, let's see how it goes. I think that's okay. Now, when I was younger, starting out, I wouldn't have had the, I guess, the, the guts to do that. Um, so in hindsight, I would have liked to have been a little bit more bold um, earlier in my career. And to that point, if we're talking about women specifically, I think generally speaking, men do tend to be a little bit more bold and take risks and things like that. So I would encourage people like, yeah, women absolutely should be too. There's no reason why we couldn't be or shouldn't be. So um, I would say keep an open mind, be prepared to fail, embrace all the different communication styles that are out there, because trust me, there's so many more now, even in the sort of 12 years or so that I've been doing this line of work. And know your audience, absolutely key. Because you you will you will fail at the first hurdle if you if you're communicating in the wrong way to a certain group of people. So any opportunity to understand your audience through segmentation and, and uh, sort of uh, 
the demographics, things like that, take that opportunity and take the time to understand them because your message will land so much better if you're communicating the style that's going to be receptive to your audience. So those would be my key uh, takeaways, I think. Thank you ever so much for joining us on the Simply Podcast, Lorna. Thank you.